welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Hi guys, Joe Mendoza here in sunny San Diego. Welcome to my show. Thanks so much for watching, subscribing. We got all kinds of great information today. Kevin Amos from Colorado with Pine Financial Group. They're a hard money lender. He also wrote this amazing book, 45 Day Investor, How to Buy an Investment Property with Nothing Down in 45 Days. So we'll get into some creative financing strategies. He bought his first property at 21 years old. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Kevin Amos. How are you? Uh, what a nice welcome there, Joe. I'm so good. I'm glad to be here. I want to first of all, thank you and all the listeners um, for bringing me on. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate you. So let's jump right in, okay? Let's do it. All right. So take us back. Uh, right before maybe 21 years old, what were you doing and how did you get into real estate at such a young age? Yeah, it's so interesting that you said it that way because I normally answer this, you know, a certain way, but I'm going to do it a little different today because of how you asked the question. Um, yes, sir. I was in the in the army and I was playing soccer, not in the army. I was not in the army yet. I was in high school and I was playing soccer and I ended up becoming friends with some cowboys and they were they were rodeoing. And so I got excited about that and I got on my first bull and I turned into a, a bull rider. And so out of high school, I didn't want to work. I didn't want to go to college. I didn't really want to do anything. So I went into the army and I chose the army because they had a rodeo team and I thought I could go into the army and ride bulls. Wow. <laughs> that crazy? That's awesome. <laughs> so like a professional bull rider. I, I wish I, I was never that good. I, I did pretty well in high school, but I couldn't go much further than that. Uh, went into the army, went into the infantry and, um, you know, I just started studying uh, investing while I was in the army and, and every book, as you know, Joe leads to real estate. That's where money is made. That's where a lot of, uh, millionaires make or hold their funds or money, as you know. And so I just started focusing on that and I was already excited and into real estate before I got out of the army. Wow. Fantastic. Thanks for your service to our country. Really appreciate it. Of course. So, um, how long were you in the army? Were you like, uh, for the GI bill, two, three yeah. years, something like that? Yeah, that's a good question too. I was in the army for three years and it was the only branch that allowed for a three-year term. And then I did one additional year in the National Guard. So when I got out of the army, I had the GI Bill, as you just suggested, to help pay me for school. What's cool about the GI Bill is they pay you, they don't pay the school. So I had the funds that I could you know, use to support myself and buy books and that kind of thing. And then I was in the National Guard and the National Guard actually paid the school directly. So I was getting the majority of my school paid for from the guard. And then I had the GI Bill to generate some income. Wow, that's fantastic. I know a little bit about it because, you know, my dad was in the Navy. And quite frankly, when I was a senior in high school as well, I actually started signing up for the Army, took the ASVAB test. I almost went down that road, but unfortunately, I, I'm a lifelong asthmatic. So that was oh. like a big red flag and changed my path. <laughs> Darn it. And my best friend had the same problem. Yeah. Yeah. I really wanted to serve. Um, anyway, so in the Army, you're studying... Um, you got out of the army national guard then bought or you were yeah. still in then bought. i was actually still in the army um i had the steady income and i bought my first house before i was out up here in denver and i was stationed down in colorado springs so it was about an hour and a half commute between where i was stationed and where i bought the home 
And then I had the home ready to go when I got out of the army and moved into it. So it was maybe four months, something like that, uh, prior to me exiting the, the army when I bought my first home. Nice, nice. Now, did you buy it with a, a VA loan or how did you buy it? Yeah, until, until pretty recently, this was one of the only ones I had a down payment. Um, so I went FHA okay. and I had so the three and a half percent down. It was a hundred thousand dollar buy. So I had three and a half, you know, thirty five hundred dollars as my down payment. Awesome. You know, what's kind of crazy about that idea, Kevin, I've talked to lots and lots of clients as an agent and some people think it's still like 10 to 20 percent down, not realizing there's VA no money down or FHA at three and a half percent down. So you went the traditional road. Then where did you start to climb from there and got into hard money, got inspired to write your book? Yeah, it's been a long, long haul here. And I think we're going to get into some details of some of the, the downsides, right? You mentioned yes, that, yes. Joe, I, but, uh, I'm building up to it, Kevin. <laughs> I'm building so I'll, up. <laughs> I'll just go quickly through, the, through this timeline here. Um, I moved out I started taking out student loans, even though I didn't need them. I had the army paid for the, I had the school paid for because of the army, like we talked about, but I took out student loans anyways. And I did that for two reasons. First, it's ridiculously low interest rates and it's tax deductible. So what I chose to do with the student loans was buy my second home. And so that was my down payment on my second home. And I moved into it and I kept the first as a rental. And from there, it's like, look at this. I'm, I'm making $10,000 a month in appreciation on this house, $350 a month in cash flow. It's like, this is the vehicle that's going to make me rich. So I decided to just pour myself into real estate. And I started buying a house or two every single month while I was going to school and working part-time without any money. Wow. That's incredible. Now, were you buying and hold or fixing and flipping? What was your strategy? Yeah, I did a little bit of both. You know, I, I tried the foreclosure game at first. That very first deal, I ended up losing $3,000 because the, the books and tapes told me how easy it was to negotiate short sales. Um, not the case. So I ended up losing my money on that one. And then I really like grabbed a hold of lease options and I had a lot of success with that. And then getting into the hard money, I, I didn't mean to skip over your question there, Joe. That's okay. I got recruited to be a mortgage broker back before licensing requirements. And so I started originating loans and I got recruited because of my success as a real estate investor. And then I realized quickly that, look, this mortgage brokering is so challenging. I have no control. I would approve somebody to go buy their dream home and then guidelines would change. And I'd have to call them back and say, you're no longer approved for this house. You can't buy it. And I, I had no control. So it was extremely challenging for me. And this was back, you know, 2006 and seven um, when things were starting to get a little bit crazy. Um, and then I, I started working with my mentor, Susan, and she showed me how to raise private money. So I shifted my focus to raising money and lending it out to real estate investors because it gave me a lot more control. And then 2008, I started my company, Pine Financial Group. And here we are today. Perfect. Perfect. And I think you left out the part as a mortgage originator that sometimes they shop you for like a quarter point. Oh, exactly. <laughs> right. Oh gosh. I mean, that happens in hard money lending as well. Not as much. You get a lot of loyalty in this, this side, but yeah, man, they, they do. Right. Right. All right. So let's talk about the hard money. So explain to the audience what hard money is. Yeah, absolutely. So a hard money lender is just a, a more sophisticated private money lender. So all of the money that we have has been privately raised from, you know, private investors. And 
most common will pull that money together and loan it out to real estate investors to do fix and flips, um, fix and refinance if they're looking for no money down strategies to buy rental properties, construction loans. Sometimes we do some commercial bridge financing for value add stuff. Um, so it's higher interest rates, but much higher leverage and much easier to get. Absolutely. Now, if I was one of these persons in the audience and you know, I had my money parked maybe in the stock market at a bank and I'm not thrilled about the you know, rates of return, oh, they would probably come to you. Is there like a minimum to get into a fund or your business or how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question too. So right now we we have paused our uh, our efforts to bring in capital because we're working on a new public fund. So this will be our second public fund. Um, we're submitting to the SEC uh, probably next week. I know I don't know when you're going to air this, but it's uh, we're probably getting pretty close by this time. It's about a two month process, is what I'm being told, between the back and forth with the approval. After that, we'll be able to solicit to investors all over the country twenty five thousand dollars minimum and the rate of return will be 8%. Nice, and how long do they typically leave their money in there? Yeah, the great thing about this fund, um, much like some of our other funds, it's gonna be a 100% liquid. So it's not as liquid as a savings account where you can just get the money out immediately, but you could request a return of capital at any time. And as soon as the capital is freed up, we return it to the investor. That's great. So they don't have to wait for an existing project or it's not uh, allocated to certain specific projects. Yeah, exactly. And, and we have enough business and enough loans coming and going that it creates that liquidity. To give you an idea, we'll do about 170, 160, 170 loans a year. Wow. That's great. That's great. So a little more than 10 a month. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's solid. That's solid. And then, so it's like a fixed rate of return for whatever period of time. How does that work as for if I had the money or if somebody else had the money? Yeah, it's an it's 8% is an annualized returns paid out every single month. And the investor would have the option to reinvest um, the, the interest or they could take a distribution every single month. And again, we, had, we don't have this approved yet, but this is right. how our other funds have been operating and those all were fine. So I'm assuming it's going to be very similar. Awesome, awesome. What were some of the pitfalls or roadblocks when you were starting that business, because you're a pro, you're a master now. How was it in the beginning? Yeah, so my, most of my fun stories about losing money and the Roblox, they come on the real estate investor side. By the time okay. I started this company, we'll get into I, that. Actually, <laughs> I felt like I, I understood what I was doing a lot better by the time I started this. But, you know, it's just a grind, Joe, and you know this. It's, you know, it's making the phone calls, meeting with people, you're out on the streets and, and you're getting told no a lot. And it's just trying and trying and trying. And look, sometimes deals don't go exactly like we want. And so when we have a problem with the deal, it's the communication with the investors and the borrowers and, and making sure everybody's on the same page and you're being transparent. And, and I got to tell you, I've raised more money in times where it's been tough because of that transparency than when everything just went is exactly like I told them it should. Nice. Nice. All right. Perfect. So let's get into the that hotel we talked about <laughs> earlier. Oh, you got to start with that one, do you? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so you were an investor, you mentioned, right? Yeah. And the audience, so we were speaking right before this, guys. And Kevin was very transparent and was willing to share. So I really appreciate him uh, openly sharing about this story about this hotel. I haven't heard much yet. But uh, Kevin, tell us what happened with this 23-unit hotel. 
Yeah. So I've, I've wanted to get into more multifamily for quite some time. I've, I've done quite a few triplexes, duplexes, and four units, uh, but I haven't really gone above that. And I've had a portfolio over 50 units at one time, but it's the lease option stuff. So it's a lot of single families and things like that. So I, I found this deal through a network of, um, you know, just my network out in Branson, Missouri. It's a, it's a hotel right on the strip and it was 23 units, but a lot of the units had full kitchens in it. So it was really attracted to me is the, the, the price per door was so extremely low that I was like, I cannot lose on this thing. All I got to do is put kitchen ets or kitchens in the other units. We'll switch this into a, a you know, a long-term tenant situation, uh, an apartment, and, and we'll do really great. And it'll be the best story ever. Well, <laughs> what I didn't know was a hotel zoning and the way it operates and everything is different with a hotel than it is with a, with a multifamily. So there's sales tax and there's, ex ex there's excessive taxing in that business and management's tough because these were full kitchens. It was operated as an extended stay hotel. So now you're generating a different type of clientele and that, that clientele typically pays with cash. So I had to hire a management company because I couldn't manage an extended stay hotel from Denver when it's in Branson, Missouri. And I have no proof of this, Joe, but I'm pretty sure not all that cash hit the books, if you know what I mean. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I have, I've got some of that and I was getting beat up by the, uh, by the city. I had a drunk driver drive through one of the walls and it was just, it just got to the point where, you know, and this is more headache than the potential upside. So I decided to unload it and I ended up losing about $150,000 on that deal. Wow. Could we dig a little bit Man. deeper if you don't mind? Yeah, if I can remember all the, the numbers, okay, if that's okay. what you're going to get into. But I'll yes, do, I'll absolutely. Because there, there's some people actually exploring that as an opportunity right now. Where, I'll hey, we got to reposition this hotel because the hospitality industry is hitting the kaputs, right? Because of this coronavirus, whoever's listening to this right now. So they're looking at this. Mm -hmm. So um, about, you were probably doing the same about repositioning. Um, and if you could maybe remember the numbers, you bought it for how much or how much was oh, it cost gosh. Per okay let me see how much this was is 20 what did i say 23 units and Correct. oh man i think i paid three hundred thousand dollars for it wow so that was attractive right away it was super attractive <laughs> what what we didn't know so well about branson is it's very seasonal so if i could have got a long-term if i could have repositioned to a long-term tenant situation i probably would have been fine the problem, though, is with Branson, it's only a summer town. They're, they don't, in fact, the airport closes down in the winter. You can't even fly into that city in certain times of the year. So you're, you're flying into Springfield and driving all the way down. So you really have four-ish, five-ish months in the hotel industry to generate the income for the entire year. Um, so that was a miss. But we were expecting a vacancy of around 20%. I know that sounds really high, but I knew that it was a seasonal uh, issue there. So we estimated 20%. And I got that number from the management companies I interviewed. It ended up being like 35 to 40% vacancy. And, and the rents weren't as high, of course. And I don't know if I got all the cash. So the combination of all of that really killed the numbers. Wow. And what year was that? Oh, gosh. We were, it was a while ago. So we're probably looking at... 10-ish years ago. So maybe 2010, okay. 2011, something like that. Okay. So the other cycle, the last cycle. Yeah. It was on the other side of the cycle, right? It was when, you know, on the, the other side of the crash, I meant. So we're, 
everything seemed like a great deal back then. And <laughs> most things were. Interesting. So, yeah, so it seemed like a great deal. And then um, the vacancy rates were not what you were looking at. It was a cash business. It was a different kind of business model. The uh, zoning was uh, absolutely not uh, anticipated. So anything else, any yeah, other? I mean, targets? the the zoning wasn't conducive. But also, if they were going to give me permission to, to change it, I was going to have to sprinkler the whole the whole build. Both there's two buildings. I would have to sprinkler both. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about fire sprinklers and in, in commercial properties, but it's very expensive to put that in. So just the the idea of moving it into a long term situation was cost prohibitive. Um, and then I'll, I'll mention this because I, I know hotels, people are looking at that and assisted livings. I know a lot of people are living at that kind, or looking at that kind of investment. Look, guys, that is probably a great investment on paper. You're probably going to kill your ROI, your return on your investment. But that's a business play, not a real estate play. So real estate investors probably don't belong in those types of investments, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I, um, I looked into it and studying it still, but uh, yeah, no, there's it's a different animal, it's right? Totally different. It's a business, right? Because now you're you got a business and a piece of property, so now you have two. Uh, well, sorry, going a little rant there, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We might have to set up a webinar training around this or something. It sounds like. <laughs> so would you do it again, Kevin? I would if, not do that again. No, ever. absolutely not. I would not. Uh, I, I mean. I would look at repositioning a building again, yes, but I would not do that type of situation again. I would be much more careful, get all of my, check all my boxes before I close on it. Um, look, it's not just numbers, right? There's a lot more to a diligence package than numbers. Awesome. Awesome. So you said there was a couple other fun stories that uh, you may be willing to share. Uh, feel free. Any acquisitions on the duplexes, single family, any lessons for our audience? I have a positive one, but let me, let me Let's do it. Let's do it. Back Absolutely. up to the very first one. If you want to, if you want to hear a negative one or you want to hear the good one. Either one, my friend. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the good one because that's so much more fun. There we go. Um, we can talk about my first deal too, because that was a disaster as well. Uh, my first tenant, that was a disaster as well. Um, but my my a real good success recently. I, I had a lease option on a fourplex and I ended up exercising that option and buying it. And then I bought the property next door and there was a little sliver in the back that I need to acquire also. So there's a three properties that I purchased and then I had a, uh, an alley vacation from the city. So we put all of that together to, into an assemblage and I built 13 townhomes on that property. And I ended up making my first seven-figure profit nice. since I've been in the business. So that was a real win for me. And that was an exciting, uh, fun project. Nice, nice, nice. So it sounds like you got multiple different um, experiences in different kinds of investments. Is there a, a strategy that you favor the most, maybe? Or Not to my soul, guy. I mean... To your listeners and to you, I, I love rental properties. I mean, obviously, Pine Financial and the hard money lending business has been really, really good to me. And that's pretty much where I spend the majority of my time nowadays. And I absolutely love that because I'm helping investors, I'm helping developers making money in the process. But as a real estate investor and on that side of my story, I really like the rental properties. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm working on building a, a portfolio. So the buy and hold long term, just park exactly. it. Set it, forget it. 
the nice and boring. I know it, but it, <laughs> it I works, love it. It works. <laughs> Tried and true, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. So as a hard money lender, you must see deal after deal after deal. What are some of the key indicators or some of the things you'd like to snuff out and like, hey, okay, I'm all in. I mean, what kind of LTVs or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, the most basic um, deal that we're looking at is a fix and flip, or a, a lot of times it'll be a fix and hold also. But this is just a little single family house, and we're going to loan 70% of the value, kitchen, bath, remodel, that kind of thing, right? So that's going to be our most common deal that we review. But we're, we see some real fun, creative stuff, um, some land development deals. Uh, we've had multiple investors make seven figures on deals that we funded for them um, on the land and commercial side. Um, we saw a Recently, we saw um, uh, Safeway get converted into multiple tenant building, uh, which includes a swim school, which I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but, you know, every deal is, is so fun and so unique to look at. And it's it, it, we learn a lot from our clients and we're able to help educate them. And, you know, it's a, this business is really a team effort um, to make these deals work. I agree. I agree. What's your minimum lending amount? What's your maximum? So we don't have a minimum, but we want to, we just say we'd like to make at least $2,000 on a deal. So we would have to work on that. But um, if we're under $50,000, it might not make sense to, to come to us. Um, maximum, we don't really have one. We've done a six and a half million dollar deal. That was our largest we've ever done. Um, but we typically like to stay at 5 million or under. So we, we think that the sweet spot in this commercial space is three to 5 million. And then the residential stuff is nowhere near that, right? And are you keeping it local? Or are you lending um, hard money in multiple states? That's a good question. We really like to stay in Denver and in, uh, not in Denver, uh, in Colorado and in Minnesota. Uh, but we're occasionally looking at and funding deals outside those areas. But we just want to be a bit more conservative on those. Um, so it's typically someone that we know um, has had success in the past and can handle issues that come up. My experience in Branson is a great example of that. So we're trying to do a little more conservative lending outside of those two markets. Got it. Got it. And then um, somebody goes to one of these boot camps or online seminars and learns or reads a book on investing, gets super inspired. And here's this term, hard money. Um, if they have no money, no credit, um, but you see one of these deals they present to you, what's uh, like the minimum uh, LTV that you go. So in a situation like that, our, we don't have a minimum LTV, but we'll have a maximum LTV of 70% of the after repaired value. So okay. we can potentially lend hundred percent of the purchase repairs, closing costs, everything, as long as we're at 70% or less. But in your example, I really feel strongly, Joe, that you need to have some liquidity to be in this business and have success. Cause look, we all go over our budgets. 99% of our clients, even the most experienced ones, go over their budget. You open up a wall, you see something that you weren't expecting, that kind of thing. Who knows what's going on in the market? You might hold the property a bit longer than you were expecting. So we want to see some liquidity to handle those issues. And it doesn't necessarily need to be your liquidity. If you don't have that, as you described in your example, maybe we bring on a partner or a co-signer or someone to help you with that first deal or two to get you going. And then you can go out on your own. Perfect. Perfect. So you, you lend out at 70%. Um, somebody comes in with a 30%, maybe a friend, a coworker, something like that. Um, 
And then what are the typical rates on the 70 that you lend? Yeah. So let's clarify the 70% threshold there is on the completed value. So if you're, if you're able to buy a property and fix it up and be at 70% of the completed value, we'll loan hundred percent of your purchase and repair. So you don't need a 30% down payment. It'll be a no down payment. So just to clarify that guideline, um, rates are depending on the market, we're between two and 4% in origination fee. Um, it, yeah, depending on the market and we're 12 to 12.9% interest on that loan. Got it. Got it. So please explain, because you went over that pretty quickly. I know. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. That's okay. Get, get excited. <laughs> to you, this is like your first language, right? <laughs> but for the audience, they're like, 100%. Yeah. Like, again, let's get into that a little bit more, because I know some ears perked on yeah. that. I see these flyers all the time. So let's explain to the audience a little bit about ARV, loan to value. And for the audience, that's what I mean when I say LTV is loan to value. ARV is after repair value. So please explain a little bit slower how that works. Yeah. So let me clarify the difference between loan to value and loan to cost. So if you go to a bank, for example, they're going to have two requirements. They're going to have a requirement on a loan to value and they're going to have a requirement on the loan to cost. So they might say, hey, we're going to be at 70% or 75 or 80% loan to value. But if your cost, we're only going to finance 80% of it. So you need to have a 20% down payment to do that loan, regardless of how well you did on your buy and how well the project is going to perform. It doesn't matter. You still need that 20% um, down. With hard money lenders, we don't have a loan to cost ratio. So take that off the table. We only look at loan to value and we're looking that we're valuing it based on the after repaired value, the completed value. So if we're going to go through an example, a really simple one is, let's say it's a house worth $100,000. Keep the math super simple. I know a lot of people are probably listening to this in their car. So $100,000 value. Well, if you're able to buy that for 50 grand because it's beat up and it needs work and you could put $20,000 into repairs into the remodel, now we're at a $70,000 outlay, right? 50 buy, $20,000 repair. Well, of the $100,000, we're able to loan seven, $70,000, 70%. So we'll finance all 50,000 to buy it and all 20,000 to make the repairs. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That made it yeah. much more simple. <laughs> I'm sure for everybody out there. Good. <laughs> Great job, Kevin. Great job. So anything else you wanted to share? I mean, we learned so much. I'm sure audience, uh, please put a comment through the thread below. Uh, anything else you wanted to share? Uh, best way to get a hold of you, anything else you're promoting? Yeah, I'm not, not really promoting anything, but I will say this, you know, I really like to see people have success. I enjoy being around successful people and I want your listeners to be successful. And I'll tell you, doing this, putting this on, listening to you, Joe, and other podcasts, that's what helps you be successful, but it doesn't stop there. You've got to go out and actually do it. The things that are going to stop you, the fear, uh, you know, people say all the time, I need to get educated. I need to be smart. I need to do this and this. It's just busting through that fear, guys. Once you get that down, you're going to be successful. There's no stopping you once you figure that piece out. Thank you so much. Uh, website, email, phone yep. number, best way to reach you? Pinefinancialgroup.com. And my email, if you want to email me, is kevin at pinefinancialgroup.com. I don't always take every phone call that comes into the office, so you might not get me that way. Really the best way to reach me if you want to reach me is kevin 
at pinefinancialgroup.com. You are the man, Kevin. Thank you so much for your generosity, words of wisdoms, your, your losses and your wins. That was very gracious of you. Thank you so much. And we wish you well. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Awesome job. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did or more. So guys, look at the comment thread. If you've seen something or heard something, want to learn more about something, please put it on the comment link below. If you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Go ahead and smash that bell to hear the latest and greatest on the show. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram. I'm putting this channel together to hopefully add incredible value to you. And if you want to learn more about investing, you're new to investing, I highly recommend this book, Flex with a Plex. Also, this book, if you're having some challenges, as you can see, everybody on the show had some kind of adversity, including yours truly. So I shared a lot of that on Make It a Comeback, giving you some incredible tips to make a comeback. So get either one, Flex with a Plex, or Make It a Comeback. If you want to get more tips, go ahead and go to JoeMendoza.com. Again, subscribe, share, like, make a comment below. I really, really appreciate you. Want to add incredible value and wish you all the best in your success in real estate and in life. Take care. Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services.